And, uh, you know, with it being Christmas season, we, we can't get through a Christmas anymore in our family without talking about uh, a Christmas we had about nine years ago, I think it was, where, uh, you know, we, me and uh, I have two brothers, and, and all of us went up to Ohio, where my, my youngest brother lives, to spend Christmas together. And we all stayed in his house. And with our wives and kids, there were 16 of us living in one house for about a week. And uh, there was two bathrooms. So keep, keep that part in mind here as I progress in this story. And, uh, you know, two bathrooms are fine when everything's going okay, but you have to use some patience sometimes. But considering the situation we had, it, it made it a little more dire. Uh, we, we went up there, and we were excited. We were having a good time. And we, we didn't realize that uh, my oldest daughter, Taylor, had brought a present with her from Georgia up to Ohio in the form of a stomach bug. And uh, on Christmas Eve in the afternoon, she threw up in our van and uh, it, it was kind of gross, and we felt really bad for her. I remember feeling really bad, thinking, man, I hope she doesn't, you know, hope this doesn't carry on through Christmas Day. I really want her to enjoy Christmas. And, but we felt a lot worse later that evening when 13 out of the 16 of us also showed symptoms of having that stomach bug that she gave to each and every one of us. So as you can imagine, Christmas Eve night going into Christmas Day was nothing but a line of people waiting to get into the two bathrooms to, uh, to use them for what necessitated the use, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, we, uh, we were all hoping that we would get over it too, that it'd be quick, we'd be able to enjoy Christmas Day. And uh, my, my, uh, my, my younger brother, him and his wife that owned the house, she was one of the three that didn't get sick. So she actually prepared the Christmas dinner for all of us and, and put the whole spread out and it had this table, you know, enough to seat 16 to 20 people. And uh, 13 of us were sprawled out all over the house, laying down, looking like corpses. And I remember being in the living room floor that whole day and just laying there and seeing the, the poker for the fireplace, the stick, and wishing I had the energy to get to it so I could just hit myself over the head with it. Um, I never mustered up the strength. I laid in one spot all day and uh, didn't really do anything. So that was my Christmas about nine years ago. The good news is uh, the following day, we all had the, the energy and the strength to get in our van and get out of Dodge and come back home and leave what we left there. My brother says that he had to uh, repaint the whole house after we all left. And, basically gutted it. So uh, that's our Christmas memory. So hopefully nobody brought that present with them today. Uh, I hope that everybody here is feeling good and uh, we're excited for Christmas. And obviously tomorrow is a big day for all of us, but today is a big day here at church. We're celebrating the, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. And we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we're, we're doing the service a little differently today. Obviously, we're going to do the, I'm going to do the message in a few different segments. And I just want to, to start by just reminding you that if you've been here, you know what, what Jessica and Cody were saying, that we've been doing a series all month called Awaken the Wonder. And we've just been talking about the, the wonder of the Christmas story and, and of God's love for us and what that means to each and every one of us, that, that we wouldn't just get caught up in the, the hustle and bustle of Christmas. It's so easy to do that, isn't it, where the, we, we get so consumed with going and getting our gifts and and uh, going to the Christmas parties and the Christmas cookies and all the food and, and the family and all those things are wonderful uh, for the most part, but uh, there's so much more to it. And uh, we really, our heart this year was that the month of December here at New Hope, we would help you to awaken that wonder of who Jesus is and what he's done for each and every one of us. In fact, I have the definition of wonder that I found and I just wanna share with you because I think it's beautiful. This is just out of one of the dictionaries. It says that wonder is the quality of exciting, amazed admiration caused by something beautiful or inexplicable. What a great definition of wonder. And it lines up exactly with what I believe God's heart is for us, that we would enjoy the wonder of who he is, that there would be inexplicable excitement for each and every one of us as followers of Jesus. And how many of you know that if you've served God in your life, you know that, that there's times in your life where the, some of the greatest experiences you have with God are, are not based on anything you can even really explain. 
It's just unexplicable excitement that we have when we have an understanding and a revelation of God's love for us. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I know there's times for me, whether it's in prayer or whether it's here in worship, where I'm just excited about God. I'm excited about who he is. I'm excited about the fact that I'm his child, that I'm in his family. And I can't explain it. I could do the best I could to explain that love that God has for me, but, but you can't really completely explain it in a way that someone else can understand it. You have to experience it for yourself, amen? And I, I get so excited about that. And so to think about the unexplicable excitement that comes from God, it's such a beautiful definition of, of what wonder is. And, and I pray that today that uh, that, that would be awakened in you if, if it is something that's gone dormant in your life. Uh, because God has made us for wonder. He has designed us to have that, that wonder and amazement in our life, especially towards him, but even about other things. You know, I think about children. And, uh, you know, if you ever want to know something that's, that's innate in us, like a, an, an inherited characteristic in the life of a human, all you have to do is look at a child, right? They don't put up pretenses. You know, when children come up front here to sing, we're all the, the children's department leaders and, and pastors are holding their breath, hoping that they don't do, do something that would embarrass everybody, right? But then those, there's those of us in the crowd that really want them to do that because it's funny. But, uh, but we know that kids don't have to put on pretenses. And so when, when you see a kid that sees something that's really, really marvelous for the first time, you see their expression in their face. I think about fireworks. I was thinking about that as I was even preparing this. And I thought about the, the idea of fireworks and watching kids watch fireworks is so much fun. You know, they used to do the fireworks here in Columbia County. They used to do it at Patriots Park. And when they did them there, we could see them in our backyard. And so we go out back and I didn't even watch the fireworks. I would watch the kids watch the fireworks because it's so much more fun to watch them, watch their expression when they see this big light in the sky and the oohs and ahs, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and I even think about Disney World, you know, so many people, you either get Disney World or you don't get it. And the people that get it think the people that don't get it are crazy, right? And uh, the people that get it, you know, they go to Disney World and they just, they're just in awe of how wonderful it is and the excellence that they have. And, and the kids, when they see Elsa or Cinderella and the castle and just the, the oohs and the ahs, you know, and, and the parents always have that wonder when they get the bill from Disney World. That's what we have the wonder, but it's not the kind of wonder we want. You know, it's, I wonder how I'm going to pay for all of this. Uh, but uh, that's not the wonder we're talking about today, okay? We're talking about the wonder that, that would put us in awe and amazement of, of just of things that God would put in our life, um, and especially for him. And, and even for adults, you know, we're created to, to, to have that wonder in us. A lot of times it gets squashed by the things of this world, but it's not designed that way. You know, I was looking up, uh, Grand Canyon is one of the greatest, you know, wonders of this world that's, that's just God created that no man has had any part in. And uh, there's over 5 million visitors that go to the Grand Canyon every year just to take it in, just to see it. And so, you know, people want to see the wonders that God has for each and every one of us. Um, and I, I, the, the greatest wonder that I can see in an adult is when you see somebody that gets that, that revelation of God's love for them. The first time somebody understands that Jesus really loves them. And that Jesus came and was born in a manger that we're celebrating today. And then he lived that life and he eventually went to a cross and died on a cross for, for me and for you. And to have that, when you see somebody have that revelation, the wonder of God, like, how can God even do that for me? I'm nobody, I'm nothing. But God said, yeah, you are, you're worth it. And I came and I, I would do it again for you. I came and I died so that you could have that life and that you could live in the wonder and the awe of who I am and my love for you. And, uh, you know, I think King David the greatest king that Israel ever had. I think he, he said it so well. You know, he wrote most of the Psalms that we see in the Bible. And in Psalm 139, in verse 14, he said, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There's that word wonder. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I, I think with David, it's so amazing to see 
he, he was somebody that was so close to God. And he said, he was able to say to God, I know that you've made me fearfully and wonderfully. We are made wonderfully. We're one of the wonders of God. And we need to see ourselves that way. Some of us don't like ourselves very much because we know that some of the stuff we've dealt with or some of the stuff that goes on in our mind or some of the things we've done. But what God would say to you is, I made you wonderfully. There's wonder in each and every one of you. You know, some of the characteristics even of our human body are absolutely amazing. And, and I, just, I just thought of three of them that I wanted to share with you guys today uh, that, just, that can just blow your mind if you really get a hold of it. First of all, the body is made up of seven octillion atoms. Your body has seven octillion. I didn't know any body had seven octillion of anything. In fact, I didn't know what an octillion was until a couple of days ago. Octillion is 27 zeros after the, the seven. Such amazing number to think there's 27 octillion of anything inside of me and you. There's 27 octillion of that in each one of us. Tell me that we're not made wonderfully. Amen. The average heart for a person that lives an average lifespan, your heart will beat three billion times in your life. Three billion times. What makes the heart beat? We don't even know. It just, it just keeps on beating. God put it in us and he gave, it, he gave us life and he makes it beat for us. Three billion times in the average lifespan. And then the eye, I was, I was thinking about the eye because the eye is so phenomenal how, it, how we can focus and, and see things and move. And it says that the eye can distinguish between 10 million colors. Ten, I didn't even know there was 10 million colors. And I think about 5 million of those colors have been on the walls in my house since we've lived there. But uh, 10 million, that's a stretch. There's 10 million colors that the eye can see. It's really phenomenal how God has created us. So he's created us wonderfully. And then, and then David goes on to say that, that, uh, that I know your works are wonderful. All of the works of God are wonderful, but we can so easily miss that in our life and it can go dormant in our lives. And that's what we've been doing this month is talking about awakening the wonder in each one of our lives. And I would wanna ask you today, have you lost your wonder? Has the, the wonder of God, the love of God, has it, has it lost its luster in your life? And I, I hope if it has, I'm, I'm so glad you're here today because I wanna encourage you and I believe I can, I can by God's help, help us to awaken that wonder in our lives. Because for some of us, I think life gets in the way and uh, you, maybe you've come, become pessimistic in life. Maybe you've become cynical because of the things that have happened in your life or the things that you've gone through and you don't understand why you go through the things you go through. And, and we, can, we can so easily let that, that, that awe and wonder of God just be kind of cast to the side because we're getting so pressed, pressed in by the, the things of our life. And I just want to encourage you today that that wonder can be awakened in each and every one of us. And, uh, and it's something that we can go after in our life. And uh, when I come back, I'm going to share a, a, somebody in the Bible that had to deal with this as well. And hopefully that'll encourage you. So I'll be back in a minute. Well, I said that I was going to tell you about a guy in the Bible that, that dealt with losing his wonder of God. And uh, that person is Thomas. He's one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples. We don't, uh, we don't hear a lot about Thomas. He's not mentioned a whole lot. But he is mentioned in, in John chapter 11, and this is the, uh, the story of Lazarus. And most of us know this story. This is, Lazarus was one of the three people mentioned in the Bible that Jesus raised from the dead. Uh, he most likely raised more than just that, just those three, but uh, these are the three he mentioned. And Lazarus is probably the most recognizable one uh, of the ones that, that Jesus raised from the dead. And it was interesting because uh, when Jesus found out that Lazarus was sick, he told his disciples, he said, let's go, let's go see Lazarus. And uh, the disciples said, well, wait a minute, Jesus. They, they, they really questioned whether or not they should go there because Lazarus lived in Judea. And uh, a couple chapters earlier in the book of John, you see where Jesus had been in Judea and they tried to stone him. And the Bible says that he slipped through the crowd and got away. 
But there was definitely a hit out for him in Judea. And so to go back there was going to be very risky for him. And so the disciples were trying to say, well, Jesus, you know, we want to, we want to make sure that, that you're protected and safe. And so they, they questioned whether or not he should go. And it's interesting to see what Thomas said uh, in John eleven sixteen. It says, then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, you find that, I find that interesting because uh, the threat was very real for these guys to go back to Judea with Jesus. Um, and probably more so for Thomas than anyone else. Uh, the, the name Didymus was given to him, and that name means the twin. And a lot of scholars believe that he, they probably called him that because he probably looked a lot like Jesus. And so for Thomas to go back to Judea with Jesus, he can very easily be mistaken as being Jesus himself and, and taking on that risk of being stoned or killed or imprisoned or whatever may have come along. But Thomas was the one that said, let us go and let us die with him. Now that's a guy that was in wonder and awe of his Jesus, willing to go with him and die with him. Amen? Because we see in a couple, a couple earlier chapters, uh, we see one of the miracles that Jesus performed was where he, uh, he healed a blind man that was blind from birth. And Thomas was there and he was part of that. And he saw that miracle working power of Jesus. He saw the power and the love of Jesus having compassion on this guy and saying, I'm not, I would not will that you would stay blind. And he, he went and helped him and, and actually healed him. And this guy was excited and there's a, you know, there's a story about it. But Thomas witnessed this. And because he saw this, Thomas was saying, this is a guy that I could follow. I, I, he was in awe of Jesus at this moment. And he said, I will go with him and I will uh, risk my life to be with him in this situation. And you, got, you know the story. They actually went to, to Judea. They went and, and Jesus... Uh, brought Lazarus out of the tomb. He'd been dead for a few days. He brought him out. He was completely healed. And there was no, you know, they weren't captured or anything at that time. And I would just ask you today, one of the questions that I want to pose to you today is, can you remember a time where you were in awe of God? Like Thomas probably was in this situation. He not only just saw a man that was healed, that was blind from birth, he also went with him. He risked everything to go with him into Judea to see a dead man raised and brought back to life. That's a guy that had to have been in awe of Jesus. He wasn't just some guy that was committed and wanted to fight somebody. He was willing to risk it all to go with him. He said, let us go die with him. So I want to ask you today, can you remember when you were in awe of God, of his love, of his, of his miracle working power, of his passionate uh, sacrifice that he gave for you? Maybe it was when you first got saved. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, you know, there's nothing like seeing somebody when they first get saved and have that revelation of the love of God in their heart and the fact that they need a savior and they realize what he did for them. Maybe for you, maybe that's the last time you were really in awe of it. Maybe you've lost that first love that, that the Bible talks about that, that happens to us sometimes where we, we get bogged down in the world. We get bogged down in things that, and we don't, we don't really take time to really revel in who he is. You know, maybe you saw, maybe you witnessed someone being healed at one point. Maybe you saw a miraculous healing. I, I've seen a, multiple ones. And, and you're just, at that moment, I remember you're thinking when I, you see somebody heal and you just think, wow, God, you're so amazing. And I'm so in awe of you. And at that moment, yes, I would go with him anywhere and, and risk my life for him too. And you think, oh God, I'll never doubt you again. Thank you for this miracle. And then a week or two weeks go by or months. And, and if you're not careful, you let that, that apathy kind of settle back in into our lives. You know, you may have seen him provide miraculously for you financially. You know, we... Financial miracles are just as big a deal as physical miracles, amen? I mean, we have to have money in this world to function. And it's, it's, a, it's a constant tension in our lives dealing with the financial situations that we come across and that we have to deal with on a daily basis. And maybe you had a desperate situation where you saw God come through for you. 
Uh, maybe it was at the last minute. Maybe it was getting you a job that you really needed. You've been out of work for a while and you got a job. And you saw God working in you and you said, oh God, this is so amazing. I, you know, the next Sunday at church, you were lifting your hands. You were worshiping. You didn't want worship to end. And you just thought, God, I'll never, never doubt you again. And yet maybe something came along eventually that, that caused that, that awe and that wonder of him to kind of fade away again. And see, Thomas, he was about to be tested in his faith because he, uh, a couple chapters later, it was when Jesus gets arrested and crucified. And history tells us that all the disciples except for John completely abandoned Jesus. So that would include Thomas. He abandoned him. A couple chapters earlier, he was willing to go to Judea and die with him, and he did. But as time went on and, and then Jesus got arrested, he abandoned him. And his, his faith was really tested. And he was frustrated because he thought that the plan of God was something else than what it really was. You know, the disciples had a hard time comprehending. Jesus tried to tell them over and over again, you know, that I have to, be, I have to die, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. They didn't get it. And they, he kept telling them, but when he was arrested, they all fled, and they were, they were crushed. Their faith was crushed by what had happened to Jesus because their plan, what they thought God's plan was, wasn't being fulfilled. And how many of us have had that happen in our life where we have had those times in our life where we feel like God, we understand God's plan for us. And it could cause that wonder that we have in God to fade away. It can cause it to be uh, put in the background. Because we, we've, you've, been, you've been trying your best. You've been serving God the best way you know how. You've been, you've been tithing. You've been serving. You've been reading your Bible. You pray. You fast. You do all these things, and yet things haven't really gone the way that, that you had thought that they would go. Maybe you even had a time where you felt like God spoke something to you, and it didn't happen the way that you felt like he spoke to you. And you can be frustrated and say, why is, I don't understand your plan for me, God. I don't understand your plan. That's what happened to the disciples. And that's actually encouraging to me because these guys were living, they were with Jesus for three years. And for them to see this situation and to run, it's not okay to, that we run away. But it's okay knowing that, like, when, when, we, when we run away, we're only one step away. If we turn around, we're only one step away from being back, right? And, it, and it, Jesus does not condemn us. He does not look to, to put his finger, point his finger at us and say, for all that I did for you, you should be willing to do anything for me. That's not our Jesus. He's always there holding out his hand, extending that, that, that love to us that would draw us in, that would hopefully draw us back to him. And so I would ask you today, is, is there something in God's plan that you didn't under, haven't understood and it's caused that wonder in your life to be squashed? Um, we know that, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And on, you know, on the third day, he was raised from the dead, and it said that he met with his disciples. But, but Thomas wasn't there the first time he met with his disciples. But he did meet with them again, and Thomas was there. And it's in John 20, verse 25. It says, so the other disciples told him, this is Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. Now, that is a man who has lost his wonder. This is not a good part of the story for, for any one of us, but I bet we've all been there. We've said, unless I, unless I can see the tangible evidence of something God's doing, I'm not going to believe anymore because I've been disappointed too many times. And it, the, the, the great thing about the, the very next verse, it just shows the heart of God for each and every one of us. The very next verse, it says in, in verses 26 to 28, it says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, notice he went straight to Thomas after he walked in and said, peace be with you. 
He, he pointed out Thomas and went straight to him. He said, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said unto him, my Lord and my God. Jesus didn't condemn him. He didn't say, Thomas, man, you, you saw me heal a blind guy. You saw me raise a, a dead man from a tomb and I get arrested and you go running off like a, like a coward. He didn't say it to him, did he? He, he? he knew exactly what Thomas needed. Thomas said, I want to touch his hands and his side. He didn't even just say just either his hands or his side or even see it. He said, I want to touch it. I got to see it for myself and I got to feel it if I'm going to believe it because he had lost his wonder in who God was. And Jesus came, and this is the heart of Jesus for each and every one of us, church. This is his heart for us. He would say, come, touch my side. Put your hand right here. Touch my hands. See the, see the, see the nail marks in my hands. Stop doubting and believe. He didn't rebuke him. He just loved him. And he, showed, he revealed himself to him. He gave Thomas permission to believe in him again. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing that each and every one of us can relate to. And I believe that the Lord will be telling us today, stop doubting and believe. He's giving us permission to believe in him. He's given you and me permission to believe in him and who he is and what he is doing in each one of our lives. No matter what you're going through, no matter what may have squashed the wonder, no no matter what may have weighed you down, he's saying today, I'm giving you permission to stop doubting and believe. And the beauty of this is, is Thomas says, immediately he says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. When, he, when Jesus revealed that, that, the, the truth to him and let him see it and feel it and touch it, Thomas's immediate response was, my Lord and my God. And I don't believe his posture was, oh, okay, you're my Lord and my God. Okay, I get it now, I'm good. I believe his posture was on his knees saying, my Lord and my God. Because he saw the love that Jesus truly had for him. And you know, history tells us that Thomas spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel. And he died a martyr preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because of that revelation that that God had given him right there. It's okay for us. He's given us permission to believe. And I'm going to come back in a minute. I'm going to talk to you about how we can get our wonder back. That's the Christmas story. Amen. So Thomas says, my Lord, my God. He has that revelation of Jesus. He sees that Jesus really is who he said he was. In the very next verse, after Thomas said, my Lord, my God, in in John 20, verse 29, it says, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Thomas, he, he had the privilege of being able to be with Jesus in the flesh, right? And we, today, 2,000 years later, don't have that privilege. And Jesus knew it. And Jesus was preparing, uh, he, he was preparing all of us by putting it in the Word of God that we are blessed when we believe and have not seen. We don't, we don't get to touch his side and touch his hands, but we get to touch his heart. And we get to see his heart. We, get the, we have that revelation of who he is in our lives. He's saying, blessed are those who believe and haven't seen. And that's each one of us today. We have, to, we have to make that choice to believe. Like when, when we have those moments where we are in awe of the wonder of who he is, those are great moments. And I believe God gives us those moments so that we can remember them. But the day in and the day out of living our life for Jesus is, is a, uh, it's a daily occurrence for us. Amen. I, I was looking on the internet to find some pictures of nativity scenes and I found one. I'm going to have them put it up on the screen now so you guys can see it. 
So this is just a normal nativity scene, right? I mean, it's pretty standard. You see them all over the place. You see them real, real ones or pictures or wherever. Um, and there's some significance about this, the, the, the nativity scene. Things you always see is you, there's obviously always Jesus in a manger. You've got Mary and you've got Joseph. And usually you have some shepherds and some wise men and some sheep and, and they're in a manger in a stable. And, uh, and that, that's, that's pretty common. You guys can leave that up for a little bit. And, uh, but, but what strikes me about, about nativity scenes, something you'll notice in every one of them if it's done right, is that there's, there's, Jesus is always in it and he's always right in the dead center. And all the focus is always on him. And that's very significant for each one of us. Because I believe to experience the wonder of God in our lives, to reawaken that wonder in our lives and to experience it in its fullness that God intended for us, he has got to be in the center of that nativity scene of our life. He has to be in the center. There's only room in those scenes, there's only room for one thing in the center, one thing to focus on, and it's got to be Jesus. You know, even, even with our eyes, the way we focus, when we focus on things, you know, your eyes can only focus on one thing at a time. You have a lot of things in the peripheral that you can see and you know are there, but to really focus on something, you can only focus on that one thing at a time. And that's, there's a spiritual application to that too, that we are meant to focus on one thing. And, and the rest of the things in the peripheral can have some attention too, but they're not going to get the same amount as that thing in the center gets. And, you know, for a lot of us, there's things represented in every nativity scene that, that apply to our lives. That, that even though that was 2,000 years ago, there's things, you have relationship represented in there because you have marriage, you got a husband and wife, you have uh, friendships, you have uh, work. Our work is represented in there because you got shepherds with their sheep. And that was their vocation, that was their job. So there's, there's all kinds of things represented here that are okay to be in the picture. You want those things in the picture. If, if nativity scene was just a picture of Jesus in a manger, it would look weird, right? You need the other things in the picture, but they cannot be the focal point. How weird would it look if there was a, if, if Joseph was sitting in the center and Jesus was in a manger off to the side there? We'd see that and think that something got messed up in the computer system, right? Or that it was some spoof or something because it doesn't even look right. But yet we're willing to do that in our lives a lot of time. We're willing to put Jesus off to the side and put our possessions or our relationships or our career can be the main central focus of our life. And we lose the wonder of who God is. And it doesn't usually happen overnight. It happens kind of slowly. You know, it just erodes. The term eroding is more indicative of who we are as, as humans and as believers sometimes that we don't just wake up one morning and say, ah, oh, you know what, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing now and, and I'll see what happens. You know, it, it slowly happens to us. Uh, and in, in, in our relationship with the Lord is the same way. It's, it, it becomes where we could have him in the center and then next thing you know, you turn around a few years later and you realize, wow, my focus is on a lot of other things other than Jesus. I still love Jesus. I still believe I'm a Christian, but he's not the central focus of who I am. And, and the things in our life can cause us to get to that place where he's not really the center of who we are. And, uh, and I would say today to, to keep him in the center is not something that's easy to do. It's not something where you say a prayer one time and you walk the rest of your life and everything is just cream cheese. It's, it takes effort on our part. It takes intentionality and it takes work on our part. And that tells me that our faith, there's no place in the Christian life for a faith that doesn't cost us anything. I don't want a faith that doesn't cost me anything. And I don't believe anybody here does either. Now, salvation is free. I'm not talking about working for our salvation. The grace of God is a free gift that comes to us because of this and then what happened about 30 years later when he died on a cross. That's where our salvation comes. That's a free gift for each one of us. But to live that out in our lives, it takes work. 
And it takes us being intentional about what we're doing because it is not meant to be free. So I would ask you today, what does the nativity scene of your life look like? How would that picture look if it was a picture of your life? And I just, I just want you to think about it. And it, like I said earlier, it's not about con- condemnation. It's not about pointing fingers at anybody because this is something we're all on a journey, right? We're all on this journey together and we're all doing the best we can. We're all trying to, uh, to live our life the best way we know how. But I can tell you that, that focusing on Jesus in the center and him being the main focus of our life is the, 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 the best tool that we can have, the best uh, mindset that we can have to keeping that wonder awake in our lives. Because the other things won't give us any wonder. They will squash it in our lives. And, you know, even the Apostle Paul said in, uh, you know, his letter to the Corinthians, in his second letter to the Corinthians, he's, he's one of the most, probably the most influential apostle that ever lived. And he wrote a letter to the Corinthian church. The, this is a letter to Christians. So I want you to think about that as we read this. In uh, 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2, he says, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. He says early in that first verse, it says that he's urging them not to receive God's grace in vain. Now he's saying this to Christians. So that tells me if he's got to say that, that means that we can receive God's grace in vain. And he's saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't let the grace of God be, be, be used in vain in your life. I believe what he's saying there is don't just get saved and then sit back and think that you don't have to do anything. What he's saying here is when you get saved, you receive that grace from God. That grace is a daily, daily portion that he gives you. Amen. And he gives you whatever you need for that day. But he's saying don't receive it in vain. Don't just sit back and, and sit on the couch, kick your feet up and think that everything's just going to work itself out. He's saying you have to be intentional because we are human beings with a flesh. And there's an enemy of your soul out there that is working day and night to try to get you to do anything but keep Jesus in the center of your life. So Paul is admonishing us. He's saying don't fall into that trap. Don't let the grace of God be in vain in you. Don't, don't become this uh, a, a believer, a Christian that's, that's ineffective and is not growing in your faith and not working hard to, uh, to be intentional about keeping him where he rightfully belongs. And that is in the center of your life. Because if you don't work hard at it, if, you don't, if you're not intentional about it, he will not stay in the center. The default setting for all of us as believers, as humans, is to have something else in the center of that, that picture in our life. Whether it is a career or relationships or or entertainment or sports or whatever it might be, there is a, there is in our fleshly nature, there's no desire to put Jesus in the center of our life. And we have to let the spirit of God in us cause us to keep him there and to give us the help we need to keep him there. Paul said in in his first letter to the Corinthians in uh, chapter 15 and verses nine to 11, he said, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Remember that. His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. He's saying the grace of God in him was not without effect. That means that God's grace poured into him, changed him. It affected him. It, did, it wasn't just something he just took and sat with it. It affected him in a way that compelled him to live differently, to, to, to 
prioritize differently. And for Paul, frankly, just to give his life to preaching the gospel to the point to where he got martyred. And he's saying to us that, that uh, not to let it be without effect in our lives. He's, he's bragging here about how he's worked harder than all the other apostles. He's not bragging in a boastful, prideful way, but he's, what he's doing is he's encouraging the, the Corinthian church. He's saying, work hard. Work hard to get this gospel out. Work hard to keep Jesus at the center of everything that you're doing. It's worth it. He's worth it because of what he did for us. He is worth it. And that is how you will keep that wonder awake in your life. That's how, because that's where you're going to experience him. We don't experience something that, uh, that we're not working towards. And we sure don't want anything that doesn't cost us anything. I do not want a faith that costs me nothing. And I don't believe you guys do either. You know, I, I, I think about uh, with my children, when, you, when they get something and they don't know how much it costs, uh, you know, iPhones are the, the biggest thing. You know, kids now, middle school, by junior high, you have to have a phone. And, you, you know, you give these phones out. I got two middle schoolers and high schoolers. So I got three phones out there. And, and you see that your kids with the phone, you know, they're very flippant with it. They're like, they'll chuck it on the, on the table or something, or they'll take it outside. And they'll just put it down in the grass while they're out there playing and, you know, step on it and not even think of it and think anything of it. And, you know, as a parent, you're like pulling your hair out, like, what are you doing? Don't you realize this thing costs $800? And they're like, so we'll just go get another one, you know, because they have no understanding of what that cost actually is for an adult. You know, that $800 is a lot of money. And, you know, it makes me want to, when I think of having to spend that again, it makes me want to, you know, keep you locked in your room for the next six months. And, um, but, but when kids don't have an understanding of the cost, there's no appreciation for it. They enjoy it and they like it. They're glad they have it, but they're not really willing. They're not going to take care of it like they do if they have to pay for it, right? And we're the same way. We're the same way, even with our faith. If our faith doesn't cost us anything, it's not going to, it's not going to inspire anything in us. It's not going to keep that wonder alive in us. It's not going to make us uh, want to give our lives for Jesus and really work to keep him in the center of our lives where he rightfully belongs. But I'm here to tell you today that, that uh, if you will live your life knowing that your faith does cost you, and again, I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about living out your salvation. Paul's telling the Christian church here in Corinth in that first passage I read that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation for you. It's the day of salvation for me. We work out our salvation every day. It doesn't mean we lose our salvation if we have a bad day. When we're saved. We're saved by the grace of God. None of us can earn our salvation. Amen. I'm thankful that I don't have to earn my salvation because if I did, I'd be in trouble. We all would. But also know that there's, there's work for us to do. There's a part for us to play if we really want to experience the wonder of God in our lives. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I close. And I just want to encourage you today, we're not, we're not going to do a, a, a typical altar call like we normally do. But I do want to pray for you, for those of you that, that want prayer. Um, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to leave your seat. But I do want to, I do want to pray for you specifically. First of all, if you're... If you're that person that would say, you know, Jesus is, uh, he's in my nativity scene of life, but he, wouldn't, he probably wouldn't be in the middle. He'd probably be over there off to the side somewhere. And I'd probably have something else in the center there, whether it's my, my possessions or my career or my relationships, whatever it might be. But he's not in the center. But I really want to put him back there. I really want him to be in the center of my life. I want him to, I want my focus, my perspective in life to be on him first, not just on Sunday mornings. Not just when I'm at small group or when I'm with my Christian friends, but 24-7, every day, all day, 
I want him to be my focus. I want, it, I want to get in my life to where when something comes up in my life, my first thought is to pray. My first thought is to think, what would the Lord have me do in this situation before I waste so much other time chasing things that, that don't really amount to anything? I want him to be in the center. The, the beauty of that is, is no matter how far we stray, no matter how far out of the center he is, even if he's off the picture to some degree, all it takes is one choice to say, Lord, I want you to be in the center. And he, he pops right back in. He comes right back in. In this situation, the baby Jesus can walk because he walks right into the center. He'll be there. You don't even have to worry about it. There, there's, no, there's no, oh, I hope he'll do this for me. He will do it. And he will help you to live out your salvation, live out your faith for him every day. If that's you, that you, you would say, he's not in the center now, but I want him to be my main focus. I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. I'm not gonna call you out. I just want you to raise your hand. Yes, I see the hands all over the place. I wanna pray for you. You can put your hands down. But I also wanna pray for those of you that would say, Jesus is not only not in the center, he's not even in the picture. If that's you today, I wanna pray for you. If you would say, you know what, I've never, he's not part of my life. You know, maybe you got saved when you were a kid. You went to church one day and you said a prayer and you got saved, but you haven't lived for him at all ever since then. And he's become a, an afterthought. And you, you're, you're here at church today and you're not even sure why you're here. I know why you're here, but maybe you're not even sure why you're here. Maybe you just come because it's Christmas and you feel like it's the right thing to do. Or maybe your mom asked you to come or your, your, your neighbor or your friend and you just came just to, to appease. But I'm telling you, if you're here today and, you, and Jesus is not in your picture, you're here for a reason. Because God wants to pour his love into your heart. He wants to show you, I, I, he wants to reveal to you how much he loves you. And that when he came as a baby, that he came for you. He came for each and every one of us. He came for you and he came for me. And his love for you can never be greater than it is today. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what you did this morning. It cannot separate you from his love. If you will cry out to him, if you will give him your heart and surrender your life to him, he will come in to you and he will dwell in you and you will be a new creation. The Bible says when we get saved, the old is gone and the new has come and we receive that salvation by faith. So if that's you and you would say, I'm not saved today. I don't know Jesus as my Lord and savior, but I want to. I want you to raise your hand too because I'd like to pray for you too. Again, I'm not gonna call you out. I just want you to raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Thank you, Lord. I just want to encourage you today that today is a good day. Today is the day of salvation for each and every one of us. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you today for your love. We thank you for the Christmas story. It's such a beautiful, beautiful scene. When we know what it depicts, Lord, that you came, left your heavenly throne, you came down to dwell amongst us to pay a debt for us that we could never have paid. If given all the money and all the time in the world, we could have never paid it. But you in one fell swoop came down, born in a manger, as lowly of a birth as could be. And you lived a glorious life, died a thief's death on a cross and was raised again on the third day for us. And it all started with what we celebrate today, God. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you for giving your life for me, for each one of us. Lord, I pray for those of us in this room today that would say that you are not in the center of our, of our scene. God, I pray for each and every one that raised their hand today, Lord, and I pray that you would bless them today, that you would help them to have the courage to say today, God, I put you back in the center. I want you to be in the middle. 
I want everything else to be pushed out. There's only room for one thing in the center. And Jesus, today, I want it to be you. And help me to do what I have to do to keep you in that center. Help me to be intentional. Lord, we don't want a faith that doesn't cost us anything. Help us to make the sacrifices that you would want us to make, to be able to keep those things of the world at bay, those, even the good things in our lives, the relationships, that we would keep them out of that center spot that only you deserve to possess. I pray a blessing on each and every one of them, Lord. Each and every one of them, God. That today would be a day that we remember forever. We put a stake in the ground and say, today, it's not gonna be the same. I pray you'd fill them to overflowing, Lord. I pray you'd show off and show your faithfulness to each one. And Lord, for those today that would say that they don't know you as their Savior and Lord, God, I pray today that none of them would leave this place without giving their heart to you. Lord, help us to give our hearts to you, to surrender our lives to you. We thank you that no matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter where we've been, that we've never, ever, ever disqualified ourselves from you and from salvation from you because of what you did for us. We thank you that salvation is free for all who will come and receive. Lord, help, help those of us today that don't know you to do that today, to give our hearts to you. Lord, we know that it's, it's just as simple as saying, Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sins, and I trust you and what you did for me to be enough that I do not have to live in despair, and I do not have to stay on the road that I'm on, but I can follow you. We thank you for that today, God. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this Christmas season, Lord. I pray a blessing on everyone in this room that this Christmas would be the, one of the best ever. Help us to remember that it's because of you that we can even do what we do to celebrate this season. We love you and we thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.